Welcome, everybody, to episode 127 of the Metabilis 2 podcast. Uh, I am, I think I'm Ben. <laughs> you sound familiar. Yeah, in a, in a distant sort of way, and I yeah. think I'm still David. Yeah, yeah, we're a bit rusty. We haven't been on air for a while, fans. About a month, yeah. I know. Jeez, that is that the longest we haven't been casting our pods? Mm, who knows? Across the across the universe. <laughs> we usually bank things up, but just the way our schedules aligned, we were oh. not able to uh, put things in the can. Exactly. So yeah, pod fans, you're lucky. We're back. Yeah. We're back, baby. We're ready to go. <laughs> and uh, Doctor Who has changed a bit since uh, we left. Uh, Christopher Eccleston has uh, come home, so to speak, and embraced fandom. Yeah, which is awesome, actually. Yeah. I guess he has a new book out, which helps. Mm-hmm. But that's good, because he seems to have had some... Certainly all the way through when he was playing Doctor Who, our favorite... The Doctor, possibly even I should call I should call our favorite character. Um, and then up to rel- relatively recently, he had some he had a lot of problems, um, mm-hmm. and he's been kind of doing the rounds and kind of talking about those, which I think is seems to be helping him a little bit. And he's done his first U.S. con as well in New York, I believe. He, so, he um, did that in New York, and when I was in uh, traveling, he was in Portland of all places at Rose City Comic Con. Yeah. Oh. Oh, cool. Excellent. Yeah, so that was uh, that came out. Uh, he he was in Rose City, or Rose City. He was at Rose City Comic Con right. in Portland the day his uh, book, I Love the Bones of You, came out. So it was yeah. uh, interesting interesting timing on his part, but I guess what he's he said at uh, New York City Comic Con that he is just really grateful to be away out of the U.K., this because it's it's tough selling this book i think he likes being surrounded by fandom which is it's almost this unconditional love just listening to the crowds and the questions that he's been getting at these comic panels than uh, more uh more journalistic or maybe it's the morning show type questions which are a little less thoughtful perhaps (laughs) <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, and I think you know, he's had some struggles with great struggles with depression, by all accounts. Um, struggle with anorexia, which I think has left him very conflicted because I think he's been very eloquent and that someone of his class and some of his gender mm-hmm. isn't really supposed to be anorexic, and that's that's really kind of hurt him. He's mm-hmm. saying that you know he was anorexic all the way through shooting Doctor Who, right? Which again, you know, I think is I think gets us closer and closer to that, you know, ever elusive explanation of why he left. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seems like maybe he was just really unhappy at that time. I um, think and, it was killing him. Yeah, I think it was. I think well, you know, the pressure of such a high, you know, such a high pressure show, right? And the pressure of also having a lot on his mind and at that time, not getting along with uh, Russell Davis at all. I think was a lot yep. of the, the yep. And he still has a lot of respect for uh, Davis, too. I mean, he said he based his whole character of the Doctor on RTD. So that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think it's a good, it's an interesting insight into, you know, the stresses and strains of being someone who's really pretty sensitive, Mm -hmm. uh, who then has to act characters. And also, you know, comes from this kind of pretty standard working class background where you're not really supposed to be that sensitive. Right. Um, and I think kudos to him for, for being so open about his trouble mm-hmm. and troubles um, and also uh, being, you know, being so honest right. with everyone and also, you know, engaging with fandom. Because I think one of the great things about fandom, though, of course, 
there's the whole Jody factor as well. Right. By and large, we love our doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some nut jobs who refuse to embrace the current doctor, but by and large, we love our doctors mm-hmm. and we love we love Chris because right. he brought the show back and he was a great doctor. I'm really excited because I'm I'm going to the I'm going to Gallifrey One mm-hmm. again next year. And he's going to be Gallifrey once, so that's going to be fun. I'll be able to, you know... Um, You're going to hang out with him. I'm going to hang out with him. I'll be a fellow, <laughs> yeah, fellow Brit. We'll hang out in the green room. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I can talk, we can talk about Manchester City together. So have you gotten on any panels yet? Have you volunteered? No, the panel services? thing hasn't come out yet. So, um, okay. I, I mean, I've offered my services again mm-hmm. as a distinguished panelist. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, I mean, now that I know a little bit about how panels at Gallifrey One function, i.e. anyone, <laughs> they'll have anyone who offers, um, then I don't know. So we'll yeah. see how that We'll see goes. how that goes, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm also kind of excited that maybe maybe Chris will decide to do some big finishes. Oh, uh, we can hope. I think... Maybe give him a little bit longer. Yeah, the love he's been getting from fandom, I think, will just play into that. And I get the impression from the people doing it that Big Finish isn't that big of a chore, that hard of a job to do. It's no. a very enjoyable weekend. You get to see right. a bunch of, of your friends again, have a laugh, do a Doctor Who or two, and you know collect your check after three days. Yeah, and I think it's, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's actually I think it's for for actors who are especially you know in what is currently and no doubt will continue to be so. A very effects-heavy show, right? Where you spend a lot of time sitting around waiting for people to, you know, get the smoke machine to work, right? <laughs> um, that you know, I think for actors who you know just want to be someone for a bit, right? I think it's a great couple of days, um, mm-hmm. and I think the kind of caliber of people they're getting for being finished at the moment, obviously, you know, David Tennant and um, Billy Piper and all the others. Is kind of testament to that. I think. I think mm-hmm. actually, it's kind of relaxing for people. Yeah, you don't have to get up early for makeup. You don't have to memorize your lines. The script's right in front of you. Yeah. It. It seems like it's. It would be something. Uh, as he becomes, uh, a, well, he's fifty-five now. But as I think, with many many actors, the older you get, the fewer roles that are become available. That uh, big finish might be an enticing. Yeah opportunity for him I, I certainly hope he does well the other thing about chris i mean just like david actually he is a really really good actor i mean these aren't he's not like some you know and i'm not saying that you know actors in the kind of you know classic era of doctor who were bad actors right. but it was a very different it's a very very different profession it was a dev, it was a very different um, very different time, basically. Mm-hmm. But Chris is is a Christopher Chris. I know him already. Chris Rexner is a <laughs> is an amazing actor with a, with just a huge emotional range. Um, I first saw him in um, Shallow Grave, which I think was uh, who's that Scottish director? That was his first movie, and he's amazing in that. Hmm. Um, and then he was in Cracker with Robbie Coltrane, and then he was in that um, Hillsborough drama where it was that was just like a emotionally killing drama that was Mm -hmm. so he's a he's really really great a great actor and i'm a big fan of his and i'm i'm Mm -hmm. I'm really glad you know just for my own selfish reasons that he i think he's getting well now because he can stop Mm -hmm. doing crappy hollywood films like gone in 60 seconds and that ridiculous dark is rising you know travesty that he was in and he can actually get back to doing great tv and great movies and Mm -hmm you know, get back into being Doctor Who. 
Yeah, he's really wanting to do more Shakespeare is what he, I think he said at yeah. one of the conventions. So, I mean, he wants to embrace these great roles. Yeah. And being that he's a dad now of, uh, I think, a, a young children under two, a boy and a girl, both under 10. Right now, they're pretty terrified of Doctor Who and seeing <laughs> their dad, right. dad be the doctor. But I think as they hit that sweet spot, moving into, you know, eight, nine, ten through 12, you know, that 10, 12 range, that might That's true. make him also, that might add a little bit of a consideration. Well, I want to, you know, I don't want to have a scary story. I want to do a fun story for my kids right. or something like right. that. Right, right, so that makes sense. It, it could be. Yeah. Uh, spe- speaking of old, old doctors, uh, Tom Baker has a fabulous, uh, <laughs> uh, just off the cuff reading or not even a reading. He's doing it from memory on the big finish, uh, Twitter feed of, uh, Shakespeare's second sonnet. Oh, really? Excellent. Which he's, uh, <laughs> it's a, so, uh, uh, Jane Slavin is, or Slavin, Slavin is, uh, the new fourth doctor companion. And I don't, I don't know which character her character's name is but he's doing the second sonnet uh for her and looking into her eyes and and it's uh let's let's just take a listen i'll do a sonnet shall i when um i'll do i'll do sonnet number two when forty winters shall besiege thy brow and dig deep trenches in thy beauty's field thy youth's proud livery so gaze on now will be a tattered weed of small worth held, then being asked where all thy beauty lies, where all the treasure of thy lusty days, to say within thine own deep sunken eyes were an all-eating shame and thriftless praise, how much more praise deserved thy beauty's use, if thou could say, this child of mine shall sum my count and make my old excuse, proving his beauty by succession thine. This would have been new made when thou art old and see thy blood warm when thou feelst it cold. <sighs> Tom's pretty smooth there. I know I've said in the past, what did Lala Ward see in him? And, but boy, he's really... <laughs> <laughs> he's a he's a smooth Shakespearean actor in right. that uh, sonic sonic uh, rendition. Right. Yeah. Well, the other <laughs> thing I would is, is, if people who you know want to check out some um, who in the news is um, I think this week's Guardian. One there's a there's a great twenty questions Q and A with Chris Eccleston, which is a lot of fun and really kind of shows off his um, very droll and actually kind of balanced sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And then also there's a great photo, a fashion spread with Sylvester McCoy, which people should <laughs> really? check out online. Um, <laughs> modeling scarves for winter. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he's modeling them with a Dalek um, and just a whole mm-hmm. bunch of cool scarves. And he's just goofing around because he's basically a clown is what he is. Yeah. You know? Well, he's an actual clown, like a trained mm-hmm. clown is what is what Sylvester mm-hmm. McCoy is. Um, so that's a lot of fun. So check that out online, everyone. They are very amusing. Well, we'll probably put a link in the show description. Well, here. why not? Yes, that would be that'd be good. And then I guess the other bit that has changed in Doctor Who is uh, Mission to the Unknown. Yeah, the, it's back. The uh, reconstruction that uh, what, what university was it in? 
Do you remember? Uh, University of Lancaster. Yes, University of Lancaster. Students there put on with the Nick Briggs doing Dalek voices. Uh, Peter Purvis was on set there uh, giving his take on the next generation doing Doctor Who. And yeah. It's going to be debuting on YouTube. Uh, on this... Or it already has. What is it? October 9th. October so 9th. De- yeah. So, uh, depending. It either sometime. has come out or will be coming yeah, out I think when this the... podcast drops. Yeah. And it's... um. All, all shot on original equipment, you know, as close as possible to what the original look of Mission to the Unknown would have been, which is really kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. And weirdly, I mean, I don't, I can't remember whether you were on this, whether you were in the same panel room as I was. You must have been, but I seem to remember Paul um, Venezis at Gallifrey One this year saying that if he, if he had. Uh, his advice to anybody was like they should just remake Mission to the Unknown because it's got no stars in it, and um, right. you know it's uh, it's it's goofy and it's fun and the script's there and we know what the soundtrack is and blah blah blah. So whether he knew that that was happening at that point or whether he was just being prescient, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. Well, he could have been in the loop too. Because, could have been. I uh, think he probably was in the loop. To be honest. Yeah. 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 He's just uh, nothing. Uh, nothing escapes Paul. <laughs> He was just uh, salting the mind there a little yeah. bit. Yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's gonna be good. I mean, it's um, maybe maybe they'll just reshoot all of all of the Dalek Daleks master plan with hmm. now now that they have a now that they have a, a first Doctor that they can use. Just, re- yeah. just recast that. You know, I don't know. They're not gonna do that, are they? Really? I wonder because I. In Portland here for five years, it's it's probably been five years since it was this has happened. But they used to have Trek in the Park, so it was a five year uh, five years that they did this. Right, and they the final one was Trouble of Tribbles, the famous episode where Kirk gets uh, covered uh, with tribbles. <laughs> covered with tribbles. Yes. yes. Okay. So the nice thing about classic Star Trek is it's very stagey. And you can have a cast, and it's an hour-long drama. Right. And I could see, uh, maybe not in the U.S., but certainly in the U.K., where you could have theatrical, you know, treat these as serious dramas or as dramas and have a staged production of uh, certain Doctor Who stories. It wouldn't have to even be ones that are missing. Right, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I guess I, I guess I'm, I guess I don't really know these, these, uh, these Star Trek kind of reenactment things like available on the interwebs at all for one to look at or what's what, what what's the kind of venue for well them? The, well so they you've heard shakespeare in the park right uh i'm aware of the concept yes okay so it's a, a so trek in the park was effectively star trek in the park to take the shakespeare in the park experience yeah because who the hell then, wants to watch shakespeare for god's sake let's do star trek right so by the time that they were done with it they had audiences of several thousand people in these uh, Portland parks all watching them put on Star Trek. And it's very limited where you have, a, a you know, very limited sets. Uh, everyone's in costume. The uh, actor playing Kirk, you know, had the right sideburns. But it, it's, uh, it's just a, basically a retelling with these characters. And I'm wondering if you could do something very similar, like with a Doctor Who, uh, a Doctor Who story where... Um, like the Ark in Space, for example, you could imagine that being maybe trimmed down to be about an hour, hour and a half long, 
non-episodic drama and you would have someone play the doctor someone play sarah harry vira noah and just go through right. uh, the entire drama as if it was uh, shakespeare. Uh, shakespeare in the park but uh, it's doctor who in the park right right i don't know you, i don't know if they have uh, shakespeare in the park in britain or if that's purely an american north american phenomenon i think it's kind of an american thing i mean there's the hyde park theater in london where they put on shakespeare mm-hmm. um and it's in a park but it's a theater mm. yeah generally these are like little community theaters or amateur shakespeare companies that will go do this this is their summer uh summer thing and then in the winter they'll put on something on you know an actual theater yeah i mean there's not i mean i guess there's so much shakespeare in britain like i don't know Mm. you could probably just go and see it in like in a proper theater right um and i don't know hmm interesting well, you could do Doctor Who in a proper theater too. They, you know, Terence Sticks obviously wrote two uh, stage plays for it. But I'm just uh, early Doctor Who is very stagey. When something something like with the Ark in Space, where it is very contained on one or two sets, you could imagine how would that be in a as a live theater experience? Right? Wouldn't it make more sense to do Shakespeare in? I mean, to do Doctor Who in a quarry <laughs> rather than a park. Ah, Doctor Who in a quarry. I mean, there's uh... relatively few episodes of Doctor <laughs> Who that take place in a park. Um, I'm trying to think of some, actually. I mean, Dinosaur Invasion, you could do that in a park. Android Invasion, you could do that Android in a park. Android Invasion, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anything anything with, the in, with Invasion in the title, you can do in a park. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, we could do Who in a Quarry. It's a new theater experience. Yeah, where... and everyone goes to a quarry. Like, they bring folding chairs. Yeah. Um, Picnic blankets. Or, yeah, but the squashy ones, because it would be quite uncomfortable sitting down, because it's all stones mm-hmm. and stuff, because it's, yeah. it's a quarry. It's a quarry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah you know. I think we've hit on a new concept that we're going to have. To... <laughs> I think we've hit on a new money-spinning concept, yeah. <laughs> who, who in a quarry. Uh. Uh, That's our retirement plan. There, we're gonna uh, yeah, we'll a touring a quarry, in a quarry. Imp- impresarios exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, so I guess we'll be reviewing that um, when it drops. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, now, uh, are you uh, familiar uh, with it? Have you listened to the surviving soundtrack, or would you be coming to this pretty cold? Um, you know, I have listened to the surviving soundtrack, oh. um, and I've also read the novelization. Oh. John Peel did that one. I John Peel, yeah. So I'm relatively familiar with the material. I'm most excited with the, by looking, seeing how the delegates behave because those um, those alien delegates are like design classics. Right. So excited about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Should be good. Should be Should good. Be good. Should be good. And I think it's exciting because it's as much as the, oh, I guess the animations plug the holes for visual representation. I think seeing actors perform is much more satisfying an experience you get a lot more range of emotions uh, facial expressions movement than you will get with animation yeah 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 and and no absolutely and i think especially since they're using you know period appropriate recording devices it's gonna look like it should look basically yeah. it's gonna yeah. look right <laughs> um the texture of it is going to be correct. four by three <laughs> yeah and there's no you know, they're not trying to colorize it or, mm-hmm. you know, jazz it up for the, you know, for people who can't bear things in black and white. Right. You know, like they do with the, um, like they do with the animations. Yeah. And actually, have you seen, you've been looking at a lot of those um, color photographs of um, 
Power of the Daleks have yeah. been leaking out. Yeah. Being, a lot of them have been popping up on Instagram, which is kind of fun. Really? I have not seen yeah. those. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, which is great because it's Instagram. You can kind of just pinch and kind of zoom in and take a look at them. But um, I'm guessing that people during the preview went in there with their cam or, or camera phones, mobile phones, cameras on their phones and took took some pictures. Yeah, that's probably likely. I just wish the person who bought them would um, get them. Uh... He or she needs to just publish a book with them. I think. Yeah, or just do a Kickstarter or whatever, and like we'll 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 pay for it. Mm-hmm. Um, just let's we we demand to have those pictures made public. Get mm-hmm. on with it. That's our plan. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that with with black and white because that's what Christopher Eccleston was saying. If he. <laughs> You know, he says a lot of a lot of things now about him returning to Doctor Who, but he thought that if he ever did return to Doctor Who, he would like to do it in black and white because that's how he <laughs> he remembers it with Patrick Trout. Oh, okay. And he thinks right. uh, Doctor Who, especially, uh, lends itself to black and white. Wow. Okay. Well, wasn't there? I mean, so wasn't there? I, again, I've, I've recently joined Twitter, so now I'm finding <laughs> out uh, a lot more things than I used to know about everything. Um, but I think there was some query recently about like well maybe she doctor should have a musical episode which mm, i don't agree with no we already had one it's the gunfighters it's not that successful as a and musical. No, and it, everyone hates it and it's not that good um maybe it's <laughs> like we should also do one in black and white and that should be a similar kind of you know well we've done some uh, in black and white though we had uh well we had like 10 <laughs> years of things in black and white, but like a new one in black and white mm. i guess is what i'm I guess, in I guess uh, in I'm 4k saying. resolution black and white doctor who yeah yeah yeah, you know, yeah. it'd be sort of like I think. Can't you just turn your? Can't you just turn the color down on your? Desaturate it. Well, the thing with yeah. if you're actually filming in black and white, then you have your uh, director thinking in black and white, and she might have your director of photography thinking in black and white. So you're going to get a lot more uh, interplay with light and dark and shadow. And I think if you just desaturate something it, that's shot in color, that's it's true. not necessarily. what you're going to see in black and white. It's sort of like the argument of Casablanca. If Casablanca, when you colorize Casablanca, it doesn't look right because it was designed and... To be in black and white. Intended to be in black and white. Yeah. Interestingly, on this this subject, I was just watching the other night uh, my new DVD copy of um, Some Like It Hot, which is an amazing movie, Mm -hmm. uh, with Marilyn Monroe and Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon. And they had some... The features and they were talking like why the director Billy Wilder decided to make that movie in black and white in 1956 when he totally could have made it in color right um and there were a couple of reasons one of which it was he was setting it back in the 1920s so like that's when movies were in black and white there are a lot of gangsters in it mm-hmm. including kind of gangsters from uh you know original gangster you know silent gangster movies so but the other thing is that uh, because a lot of the movie Curtis and Lemon are in drag he wanted to make sure that there was enough kind of, you know, it was monochrome so they would have less problem in kind of getting their flesh to look right, etc., etc., etc. So that's a good example that you know, actually black and white can give you a lot of a lot of a lot of advantages, especially perhaps with you know an effects show like Doctor Who or actually some like it hot as well, where you know you want to take out some of the challenge of presenting things in color mm-hmm. so you can actually concentrate on making the drama effective.
or the comedy. So I think that would be a good artistic choice. I don't think you would just do it because, hey, we're going to shoot uh, this in black and white, so to speak. No, I mean, there's still, like, I mean, you know, kind of... You would need a story reason for it. Yeah, I, I mean, Telefantasy has got, like, three kind of gimmick things that it likes to do. One of which is, like, it's a musical episode. Um, the other one is <laughs> it's an episode where everyone's a puppet. And then it's an episode that's it, that that everything is in black and white. Mm-hmm. I think where those fail is when they just kind of do it randomly. Right. I think when they're successful is when there's actually a solid plot reason for it. So, yeah. Um, so I think you could do something like uh, Flatline where everything would have been two-dimensional. You could do something where you have black and white and desaturate. You, you start in color. You go into a desaturated universe or realm or something like that yeah well yeah i mean you know doctor who can doctor and his companions or her companions could go and visit you know the land of the flat people whatever episode that was with capaldi was that one you said was that yeah Yeah. Yeah. they could go to that dimension and they could all be flat for Mm -hmm. a bit i would love to see jodie whittaker do kind of a noir episode and get her out of the romper jumper Rainbow stripes. Yeah, she's and... got to change her costume. She's got to change her costume, please. Yeah, I don't please. think that's going to happen, honestly. Ugh, really? Well, they got Ugh. too much marketing, and I think the problem with Chip- so, we, so we are we back in the eighties where they wear the same. I think that's all the, the problem with Chipnell because that's where he came Ugh. of age watching Doctor Who, and so we have the crowded TARDIS, we have the uniforms. Uh, well, we'll Ugh. see what the, we'll see what the next series brings us, but it does uh, seem that Chibnall is trying to out JNT JNT. I guess could be. Um, I mean, I have to say, if they do do a noir episode, the only thing that's going to remind me of those is those endless Star Trek Next Generation episodes where mm. uh, where they're on the holodeck, and then it goes wrong, right? And then it's all fine because they fix it. Um, so I uh, yeah I. <laughs> That's not going to be. It's not going to be a pleasant memory. For well, me, they they could do some. Maybe it wouldn't have to be noir. I don't know what they would do. I mean, yeah. it, it's it. It's data in a hat. Yeah. yeah. Well, the thing is, with when you go black and white, it's pretty much the. There's one one show that did it really well, and that was Wizard of Oz. And yes, I'm not sure nicely. what you would do beyond that. You would have to have a really good story reason to go black and white. Yeah, I mean, how about how about I mean, you referenced Trouble with Tribbles earlier on. How about um, what uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine did when they put those characters into that episode? Oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe the Jody and the Tardis team could travel back to um, I don't know um, <laughs> a Stephen Moffat episode and retcon that. <laughs> just they could just travel like very slightly back in. in, in <laughs> <laughs> just go to a Stephen Moffat episode and hang around a bit. No, I was thinking they could go back to a Trouton episode or something. But yes, it would be funnier if they just went back <laughs> just like a few years. Well, it's just like how Moffat was always trying to one-up or rewrite uh, RTD's episodes. It'd be... So it... Chib could just send them back and like re- rewrite uh, Moffat's rewriting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Undo Day of the Doctor. No, there, there really was a time war and we really did kill off all of Gallifrey. Or they could, or they could send them back to like a Moffat altered, you know, classic era one, and they could, I don't know, they could accidentally kill Clara or something. Um, <laughs> they could, Feed her to crawl. Exactly, which is peeking around the corner. Uh, uh, well, who knows? Who yeah. knows? And we've got a long time. When, when, when's the new? When's the new series again? Twenty twenty sometime. Uh, Ridiculous. Uh, who knows? Now, I mean, I thought they would have news at San Diego Comic Con. I thought they'd have news at New York. 
Comic-Con, there hasn't been news that I have seen when the new series is coming back. Yeah, they need to get their act together because I would like to know when the new series is coming back and I would like to know relatively soon, please. Mm. Yeah. I wonder mm. if it'll be coinciding with Gallifrey. Could be. I mean, that that's... I mean, around Valentine's Day. I suppose so. That's kind of leaving it a bit late. Yeah. Well, but um, or they could do what uh, RTD did always around Easter. Maybe it's going to be a spring to early June run of 10 episodes. I mean, it's well, sh- the they... season's three weeks shorter now. Ugh, really? Is it? Well, it's ten episodes versus thirteen, right? That is true. Yes, you're right. It is. It is. It is shorter. Uh, I hope our show isn't in trouble. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, how can it be in trouble? How can? Yeah, it's weathered. It's weathered. Weathered worse things than me not knowing when it's when it's going to be on again. Well, Christopher Eccleston's um, back. I mean, the show has. Uh, has life beyond what's going out of BBC Cardiff. He's back and he's in a good mood. That's 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 important. And that's important. He, yeah. And I think he sees value in fandom. Yeah. It seems cathartic for him. I mean, mm. it's getting to a point where I think he's getting more out of fandom than fandom might be getting out of Chris. It's it's that's that's and I think I mean what's what's really always interesting to me when kind of you know because actors. There seems to be like a kind of standard trajectory with with actors is they're like, don't like fandom, blah, blah, blah. And then they go to a con and they're like, yes, we love fandom. (laughs) And it's really because what they realize that when they go to a a con, all that happens for three days or two days, however long it lasts, is that people will love them. Like unconditionally, (laughs) they will love them. They will pay attention to them. They will listen to every word that they say. They will be respectful of them. They won't order them about. You know, they basically mm-hmm. they will get everything that they want in terms of being an actor, <laughs> without actually having to do any acting. And it seems to me right. that like if only you know sci-fi actors would kind of sort of realize that that basically they can get whatever they need in terms of you know being <laughs> an actor without actually having to do any work. That's what a con is. Well, I think cons are work for actors. I, I suppose think, so, but I mean, but I, I mean, I guess I mean they don't have to do kind of acting work particularly. They're not memorizing lines yeah. per se, but it's interesting because Rose City Comic Con I think was Eccleston's first public con, really focused on Doctor Who, or and by the time a month later that he's at New York, uh, New York City Comic Con, it's a lot more smoothed out. It's a lot less right. Uh, a, a, a lot m- the stories are less raw i guess right right so he's growing into the role i mean every night on stage something different can happen in theater and the same thing with a convention but it's sort of like with uh uncle terry where his anecdotes you love hearing the anecdotes the same stories over and over again but uh, they get a little more polished and a little more smoothed out with each each retelling. Right, right. But then, I mean, you Eccleston, he's new, so I mean, he's got like he's got years, years worth of anecdotes that he can give us, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he should, yeah, he should still be good for. Oh yeah, uh, Gallifrey. Yeah, um, I mean, there's. It's not not trying to diminish him, and I'm very happy he's back. Or, but it's not that he's back. He's 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 arrived. He's he arrived. Really, yeah. never had the fan experience. It wasn't that he ever went away. BBC already leaked out that he was leaving before even the first series uh, finished. Yeah. 
And I'm, yeah, and I, I, you know, I, I guess I, I won't get an opportunity to ask him a question at Gallifrey One because it'll be crazy people that will elbow themselves to the front of the queue. Um, <laughs> but you know, he's got like some. He's got some great. As I said he's a great actor, and there's some really interesting things that one could ask him that net not wouldn't necessarily be Doctor Who based. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, I, th- I think it would be an interesting uh, way of doing it, and probably Gallifrey is not the right venue for it. But you could have day one uh, being Doctor Who focused and then maybe day two or a second or the afternoon session being focused on all the other cool things that all you know other things that he's done all the cool roles that he's done yeah 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 yeah. well as I said I'm excited because you know um and now I know a little bit about how Gallifrey One is supposed to work then I'm I'm, I can I can plan my plan my time a a little bit better um, unfortunately, mm-hmm. doesn't. I, mean, I, I was hoping my lovely wife would be able to join me, but unfortunately, she. It appears that that is not going to be the case. Oh. So I'm going to be just. I'm going to be on my own, trying to make friends mm-hmm. with people <laughs> who also are nervous about making friends with people. So there you go. Never mind. Yeah, it'll be fine. Yep, I am giving it a pass this year. Can't can't afford it this year. Yeah. Well, I'm. The only reason I can afford it is because I combine it with several amounts of work. So yeah. Yeah. Well. It, doesn't hurt that LA is a cultural hub. It's true. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. In more ways than one. In more ways than one. Lots of culture. Lots of culture in LA, Los yeah. Angeles. So we had a topic today, but I think we're running. Well, where are we? A bit, a bit long. Okay. We're... All right. Well, what was our topic? <laughs> what was our topic? Introduce so our topic. Our topic is we'll, yeah. uh, what makes Doctor Who spooky. And it coincides, of course, with October, uh, fall, autumn, ending with Halloween. And it's a good time to reflect on what puts us behind the sofa. What makes the show particularly spooky? So are we talking spooky or are we talking scary? Ooh, what's the difference? Well, spooky is kind of, it's like, it's ooky and it's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> mysterious and kooky and mysterious and kooky exactly it's ooky and it's spooky it's mysterious and kooky scary is like bah! that's scary. So, so creep out versus fright yeah because obviously you know doctor who's it's behind the sofa so you know so for like you know i don't know if um my top my one of my, my top one scary moment for me certainly as a kid on doctor who is when the uh uh, the avatar of soon to be real as Marcus Scarman, the avatar of Sutek walks down that staircase um, when he comes out of that dimension portal and the, his feet are kind of burning the carpet. And then he like puts mm-hmm. his hands on Namin's shoulders and then his hands are kind of smoking as well. Like I am the servant of Sutek. He needs no other. Um, that is a really scary moment. It's not a very spooky moment. It's a mm-hmm. scary moment. Spooky is more like, um, I mean, the whole show is kind of spooky and creepy, mm. isn't it? Mm. I don't know. Hmm. You seem a bit dumbfounded there. <laughs> yeah, we had talked about this uh, back before we got busy for September. Right. And I was trying to think of any Doctor Who that really was scary or spooky for me. And I couldn't think of anything in the classic series that really was scary or spooky to me anymore. And I was hard-pressed to think, was there anything spooky when I first was watching it? And I don't know. I think it's 
too familiar now. It's really too, Doctor Who, uh, the classic, especially like the gothic horror era of Hinchcliffe, is my comfort area of Doctor oh, Who. And wow, it's not spooky wow. at all. It's just familiar. Oh, interesting. And so for spooky stories, I was leaning towards the ones I've watched only a few times. So like you're talking from the modern era. modern era. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Because I was also thinking about those as well. But um, I, I still find a lot of the classic, maybe not like outright kind of scary, but certainly mm-hmm. unsettling and spooky. Um, mm. Misty. I was just thinking about, you know, I don't know, that famous tent scene, the kind of random tent scene in the Stones of Blood where, like, oh, right. for no readily apparent reason, two people die <laughs> in a really kind of horrible way. And it's just, oh, that's just, that, that just happened. So I think some of the randomness of Classic Who, the kind of un, you know, because- Well, that's almost a horror, horror movie trope where you have a, a couple, uh, probably having sex and that's their reward is they they die you know that's that's a horror show trope right except of course in like you know a kids show like doc two they're you know what they're being punished for is going camping <laughs> which is that's right kids. Fair. don't fair. go camping especially yeah especially into uh ancient monoliths and uh exactly standing yeah. stones yeah don't be a boring person <laughs> who likes going camping because you're gonna die um <laughs> It was. I mean, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think what some of the things that makes certainly classic Hugh for me kind of unsettling and uh, spooky is the kind of accidental aspect of having to churn out this show like every week. Mm-hmm. Um, so that the kind of polishedness and e- even the even the, even new Who is isn't can be pretty unpolished, <laughs> um, but it's certainly not not as unpolished as some of the kind of accidental. Um, this seems like a good idea. We'll just do this. That'll be fineness right. of of classic who um, can create some truly unsettling moments, which are kind of you know uncanny. Again, you know maybe I, I maybe I did do my homework. Anyway, I mean I I'm just thinking about Mrs. Um, uh, oh God, what's 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 she called? Who's the woman who goes into the kitchen and it's not a kitchen? It's just a picture of a kitchen that she stands in front of and then comes out and then her husband's being you know in, in terror of the oh terror of the Atoms. yeah. So the scene with uh, Mrs. Farrell, Mrs. Farrell, that's why I was trying right. to okay. Yeah, that's her name. Anyway, um, it's a horrible scene because her husband is attacked by like an unconvincing and again that devil doll is super unconvincing and weird and that makes it spooky to me. Mm-hmm. But the, what really makes that scene even as a adult to me nowadays as deeply unsettling is that she's not really walking into a kitchen she's walking in front of a giant picture of a kitchen and then walking back out again and there there are these moments in classic who which are uncanny in that kind of technical sense of the word which i still find kind of kind of more it's more unsettling the cso makes it more unsettling for me than it would be if they'd actually filmed it in a real kitchen so you would find that less spooky if it was just filmed on a set, on a soundstage, rather than uh, the actress uh, in front of a CSO screen. Yeah, the CSO makes it more weird and therefore more unsettling to my mind. So is that spooky? I mean, it's not It's not a scare. It's just unnerving. It's, but that's, this, this is what I'm trying to get. Yeah. To, yeah, the difference between something being scary and unnerving. Hmm. It's a. It's kind of an un, un, an unnerving scene, mainly because of its CSO ness, 
makes it kind of unnerving. You know, Terror of the Atans, I think, also with the policemen uh, Atans, also yes, also is kind of unnerving. I, you know, spooky. Maybe I don't. I don't know. It's 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 hard. Mm. I think spooky. I think spooky is probably harder than scary. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Hmm. So so uh, so we we going to say a little bit about then the new who and some some spooky moments there. Well, or? yeah, but I, I'm just wondering if uh, if those are more scary or spooky. I'm thinking like probably the most popular scary or spooky one is Blink, and Blink to me is all about the scare, and it's uh, it has a creepy haunted house atmosphere, and you have Tenant and uh, uh, Freema. Uh, with the VHS cassettes, but it's is it is it spooky or is it scary? Using using your definitions, you know your comment about you know classic Who being kind of you know, so too too familiar for you now. I think the weeping the weeping angels are kind of you know they're they're a Davros basically is that they've now become this kind of major recurring villain hmm. um, in New Who. At least they were during the the during the during the Moffat era, and certainly you know in audios and in books. I really wish they'd only be used once and that would make Blink, you know, a super, you know, very effective kind of scary piece of drama. Now, when I watch Blink, and I don't watch it a lot, mm-hmm. I just think, oh, yeah, Sweeping Angels. Yeah, everyone's scared of them. You can get hella Halloween costumes of them. And it, they, they're, they're, they've had their kind of, you know, effectiveness spiked pretty effectively by just being overused, hmm. in my opinion. Now, I thought they were really good in their sequel, and that was Time of Angels. Uh... Well, yeah, that's true, but that that's because they did it differently. And mm-hmm. to my again, to my mind, they did like an alien aliens right. kind of attitude, yeah. you know, where it's yeah, okay, we'll, we'll we'll bring them back, but we'll bring them back in a completely different way, and they'll be just as scary. So mm-hmm. you know, yeah, yeah. But after that, they they lose all impact for me. I think because uh, Time of Angels, uh, Flesh and Stone, were pretty high up on the creep out spooky i thought i thought that was a pretty spooky story with uh just uh angel bob talking to right talking to the doctor yeah. and just yeah. amy in the uh support vehicle or support thing with the screens and with the angel coming at her through the television i thought that was creepy that's poltergeisty that to me was right. a, a spooky story for more of the scares would be like the satan pit with the ood and with toby and that that to me is a pretty spooky spooky scary story too yeah that's not been overused i mean obviously i don't know has the satan reappeared in kind of yeah i don't think so not on the tv has it reappeared in like other other media i don't know but Mm -hmm. you know i think that's smart i think it's smart and it remains you know unsettling and scary i think another one of course is the um What's the one with the repeating thing, you know, whether on the, the bus? Midnight. Midnight. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. You know, I mean, my kids refused to watch that one for years. <laughs> they found that one deeply frightening. Um, and it's still, it's very unsettling. Yeah. And what's frightening about it is we can't trust the doctor because there's no one to vouch for him. That That's what made uh, Russell's writing on that so brilliant is he took away the companion and that's what makes it scary. If Donna was there, it's... Yep. it's uh, the companions there to let the other characters know you can trust this person. Yeah, 
and I and, of course, and I think we probably talked about this before, but we but I think I think the other thing that I think particularly makes it frightening for kids is because essentially what the whatever the alien is mm-hmm. in Midnight, it's a kid's game that the alien is playing. It's you know it's where you repeat what your sister says to really you know to irritate her. Basically, <laughs> it's, a, it's a children's game. Right. Yet the more that the creature, the more that it is played, and especially when it starts to. Actually, as, as we know in the episode, when it starts to um, to anticipate what you're going to say, right. it becomes really, really frightening. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's one of the uh, scarier Doctor Whos, I guess. Uh, so it's, it's, yeah. it's, I guess it's probably more spooky than scary because although you have the, the bumps of the travel capsule and whatever, it's it's more of the inner fear that is the spooky bit. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. So would you say that as an adult, someone who grew up with uh, Doctor Who, is modern Doctor Who spookier, scarier than classic Doctor Who? Or is it just that we're inoculated <laughs> to classic know. Doctor Who? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that is a, a topic for another another cast i'd have to give that some thought yeah because certainly i mean the cliche and i don't know if and it's not really a cliche because for listening to people who grew up with it as a child doctor who was terrifying and they did children did hide under the covers behind the sofa watching doctor who yeah and we can talk about this i mean i i I never did that i found it absolutely riveting Mm -hmm. rather than terrifying i i you couldn't kind of draw my eyes away from the screen Mm -hmm. Um, and if I'd hidden behind the sofa, I would have missed something. Right, so right. That's why I never hid, hid behind the sofa. Mm-hmm. I just found it just completely compelling. I, eyes wide open. <laughs> eyes wide open, exactly. It's like yeah. uh, Clockwork Orange you had. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm like, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Didn't exactly. want to miss a single frame. Didn't want to miss a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you, do you, mm. so do you remember one being particularly spooky other than Terror of the Autons? Then is it is it is it the earlier Pertwee ones that? Uh... It's going to be those early Pertwee ones and those goth and uh, well mid to all of well I mean that's when I was watching it right so, you know all right. of Pertwee basically mm-hmm. so you know classicals being you know Green Death and those maggots but I know and those gothic Hinchcliffe Baker. Baker ones, you mm-hmm. know, Talons of Wen Chiang, you know, Leela getting eaten by a giant rat, mm-hmm. the face of Magnus Greel mm-hmm. behind the, the reveal, mask. yeah. The reveal. Well, that's you know, a scare, is, right? So That's a scare, yeah, yeah that's a scare, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I, I think I, I think this this could be, you know, I think this could be, this could be definitely a topic for another day. Yeah, so that's what we're going to be yeah. focusing in on uh, this month of October, and we're going to be delving more into classic and modern Doctor Who and just discussing what makes a story scary and what makes it spooky. Yeah, I think that will be I think it'll be a lot of fun. I will look forward to, to doing that mm-hmm. and presenting that to you all as part of the Metabolist 2 podcast. All right. So we're back. We're going to be recording again. Our traveling for the foreseeable future is limited, so expect some pods. Yes, the pods are on their way. Yep, definitely. All right. Well, thank you for listening to episode 127. If you have been, I've been talking with Ben. And I've been talking with David. And until next time, goodbye. Yeah, have a, have a, have a wonderful evening. Good day. Okay.